Chapter 21 Summer clouds, swelled in the sky over Renton. Beaming rays of sunlight pierced here and there through the porous covering. It was noon. A quarter of the day had passed. The time had come. Dalriada's sons had yet to appear in Renton. And Chorich had waited long enough. Chorich would join his father and, together with Les and Ronan, the four would settle their plans with Luag and head north to hunt for Kenneth and the others. Chorich stood beside his horse and glanced back at the empty doorway of his home. He untied the animal from its post, and grabbed the lead. Looking back one last time, he stopped. The doorway now framed the petite figure of his young bride. She stood small in its hollow entry, silently staring back at him. Chorich left his horse. His gaze fixed upon Siana as he approached. A heavy frown hung from the corners of her mouth, clothing her countenance in sadness. Chorich shook his head, silently pleading with her to let go of her fear. She turned and faded from the doorway, receding back into the protection of the four walls. Siana, Siana. Chorich ran to the empty doorway. Inside, Siana sat in a small wooden chair, wiping her eyes and refusing to cry. Chorich entered and knelt beside her. She turned, not willing to glimpse his gaze. Siana, look at me, he said, groping for words to console her. We must find my sister and brothers and the others. When we find them, we will return. By then, the men of Dalriada will be here. It'll be all right. Siana's face fell to her palms and her body crumpled, Chorich's words had fallen like a pebble on a mountain. I know you're upset, Siana, please try to understand. I do understand. That's why I'm upset. I know you must go, but should I be happy that you must? That you may be killed and never return. You can't get rid of me that easy. Chorich tried to ease her mood. I have my father's sword and your brother's bow protecting me, it's the Vikings who should be afraid, he said, and he grinned at her. You are not taking me seriously, Chorich. I was here when they attacked. I saw them. I know what they can do. A lump filled her throat. She fought to speak, I know you have to do this. I accept that, but it may mean I have to accept much more. Chorich stood, and took a deep breath. His eyes moved across the room. A small tin vase, sat on the table filled with white wild flowers she'd picked. A rug that she'd saved for and bought in Renton lay nestled by the fireplace. She had made their house a home? He loved her for that? He eased his hand to her shoulder and spoke, Siana, I know you are troubled. I understand, I know the Vikings are dangerous and this will not be easy. We'll have to be careful in getting them back, but we have to try. Chorich wished she would listen, he wished she would trust him. I'll be back, don't worry, I'll be back for you. Siana pulled away. A tear ran down her cheek. Chorich reached to her and caressed her hair, what is it? Siana gazed into Chorich's eyes as if looking into his soul. Chorich, I am not worried only about myself. Chorich, she glanced down at her stomach. The tiny bulge that she now carried in her midsection was hardly discernible. Her eyes moved upward and found Chorich's. She closed her lips without finishing her words. What? Siana, what is it? Siana pushed back her tears, stood abruptly, and then stepped across the room. She swallowed and composed herself. I'm worried about everyone, Nessa, Aiden, 
Kenneth, you and Les and, Chorich, this is all so scary. I just don't want to lose you. I can't lose you. Chorich moved close to Siana, put his arms around her waist, and held her. Several moments passed before he let go. He lifted his hands to her face. You won't lose me, he promised. She nodded. He quietly mouthed the words, I love you. His smile was warm and his words were genuine. He kissed her lips and then released his hold of her, and he turned and walked out the door of their small quiet home. She watched him from the doorway as he rode away. And she longed for his return. Chorich rode to the charred remains of his once childhood home. There he joined his father and Les. Chorich acknowledged the two with a nod and then gazed down at the black pile of ruin, his thoughts consumed with what had been taken from him and his family. The night dew had evaporated in the warm day leaving the air bitter and burnt, the odor stoked Chorich's hatred of his new enemy. Together, the three Scots pushed their horses hard and raced toward Lueg's home where Ronan waited to join them. Once at Lueg's, Alpin conveyed his orders for the men who would soon arrive in Renton. Lueg remained behind to carry them out. Departing Lueg's home, the four headed north along the west side of Loch Lomond and followed the trail of the Vikings. As they rode, thoughts of Siana riddled Chorich's mind. He was unsettled with how he'd left her. Though he'd tried to reassure her, she never seemed comforted. He assured himself that his mother would be a help while he was gone, that if anyone could console Siana it was her. His mother was a strong woman, and she'd seen her husband leave for war. Maybe she could settle Siana's heart. Chorich rode forward. He welcomed the warm wind that blew against his face. It was like a balm that soothed his conscience and focused his mind. He had to find Nessa and his brothers, and though he couldn't be sure they were still alive, he was determined to try. He vowed to repay those who'd brought trouble upon Renton, and upon his family. Under the steady drumming of the horse's hooves, Chorich's mind wandered back in time. He was sixteen. It was the last day he saw Drosten alive. His brother sat high on his horse, full of courage. Chorich stood next to Kenneth and Aidan, staring up at Drosten. On that day, Chorich had wished he could have been the one showing his strength and testing his mettle in the march against the Britons. He could still hear Drosten's voice, still see his taunting, teasing grin, the grin of an older brother. His gut wrenched as he recalled the anguish that day had brought. Memories of the past continued to hound Chorich, the rains drenching him and his brothers as they dug Drosten's grave. He was standing in the pit next to Kenneth, watching as Kenneth dug deeper and deeper into the cruel earth to prepare a resting place for their brother. That day had been a cold, day. It was a day that cut deep, and its scars, though faded, would never be washed away. Chorich rested his mind. He wanted to look ahead, for the day he lost his older brother had long passed. He would now find Kenneth and the others, and they would take their revenge on the Vikings. Chorich fed on his fury. It compelled him forward. He could taste the fight as he rode. He snapped the reins of his horse and pulled in front of the three to ride lead. They had much ground to cover. Kenneth was closing on the Vikings. The steam wafting from the horse dung littering the trail evidenced they weren't far ahead. He wanted to see the army. He wanted to know their size, their strength. He wanted to find his mother, his sister, his brother, and his people. To do this he would need to be close, dangerously close. 
the Vikings would likely keep to the path through the lowlands, staying near the rivers and streams as a water supply for the men and horses. Kenneth gambled. He broke from the trail that pushed through the valley and rode into the hills. Riding through the forest of the mountainous terrain would be difficult, but being a single rider, he held an advantage. The Vikings, moving a small army on horseback and pulling carts and captives, would be forced to move slowly. Kenneth would follow the sun as a bearing. He would need to plot his course well if he was to intercept the Vikings passing through the valley below. Kenneth rode along the woody ridge line, eyeing the sun as it lowered. Reaching a clearing on the ridge, he trotted toward the ledge and stopped his horse. He gazed below but saw nothing. Then he closed his eyes and paused to listen. Only the aspen's quaking leaves offered a sound, fluttering and dancing in the wind. A bird of prey suddenly lofted from a nearby tree, startling Kenneth. He sat for a moment before dismounting and watched the bird soar in a wide elongated circle. The bird looped a second time and then a third before disappearing south beyond the treetops. Kenneth snapped from his daze and slid from his horse. He stepped to the edge of the ridge to gain a better view. Below lay a path with a small river running beside it. Hundreds of hoofprints pocked the path. From high above, the tracks appeared faded and aged. They also headed east, and the Vikings were returning west, maybe the gamble had paid off. Kenneth led his horse into the trees along the ridgeline. There he tied the animal to a branch and returned to the rocky ridge. The sun was setting and evening was approaching. Dusk would come soon. Kenneth eased precariously along the ledge of the ridge, searching for a perch where he could spy his enemy from above. Ambling a dozen yards along the edge, he found two sizable rocks sitting next to one another with a small nook between them. The nook formed a roost embedded in the ridge, a vantage point from which he could peer down and remain invisible from passers-by on the trail below. Kenneth lowered himself into the nook and sat. He adjusted left then right, trying to settle against the jagged surface of the nook. Its protruding bumps became a nagging irritant. Kenneth sat still for another moment, then rearranged himself to sit more erect. Despite his efforts, he found himself unable to avoid a particularly annoying rock that poked his kidneys, and he resigned himself to ignoring it. As time passed, the damnable rock felt more like a dagger than a stone. Kenneth likened the irritant to the old hermit, amusing himself and even snickering as he recollected the hermit's spunk in shooting the Vikings with an old worn-out crossbow. At that moment, Kenneth peered down at his simple knife and sword and grimaced, wishing now that he had requested the old man's bow. As Kenneth waited in his nook of granite, a dozen scenarios played in his mind. He considered that maybe not having a bow was better. Maybe he didn't want to start something he couldn't finish, at least maybe not at the moment. He wondered if the Scots had gathered in Renton. He hoped they weren't far behind now that a day and a half had passed since his leaving. Dusk was near, and the lack of light would soon become a hindrance. Kenneth rose in his perch. He began to wonder if the Vikings had stopped, or maybe even turned off the path. He grew anxious and tried to reassure himself that he was watching the right path, that the Vikings would be coming his way. He tried to be patient, realizing that trouble would come soon enough, and he didn't need to spend time worrying of its arrival. Kenneth lowered again. He turned sideways in an attempt to keep the small irritating rock from jabbing his back. He looked west at the sun fading on the horizon, wedged between the cotton clouds. The image took him back to the hilltop with Arabella two evenings prior. He could see her gazing at the sunset, and he remembered how she'd caught him gaping at her.
A gush swept over him, and he smiled at the thought. What would it feel like to hold her again, to hear her laugh? He pictured her at home in Cashel, waiting for his return. He wanted to be with her. A faint clip-clopping sound shook him from his daydream. He ducked lower in the nook and waited a moment, then peeked out from the two rocks and scanned the path below, tracing it back as far as he could see. The path crested in the distance. And though he couldn't see any riders, by the sound of the steady hoofbeats, there were more than a few. Kenneth slunk back. His heart raced. He glanced down at his sword and ran his thumb across its sharp metal blade. Then he lifted to a squat and placed his hand on the large rock to his left to steady his balance. Staring up at the sky, he whispered a prayer, Good Lord, keep me and grant me courage. He drew a deep breath and peered past the rocks. Vikings. Men with horns lifting from their heads. Their dull metal helmets and dark leather garments displayed an ominous, villainous appearance. They rode large beastly horses and marched down the path as if the ground beneath them had forever been theirs, as though the earth was their own. Kenneth watched the mystical procession with peculiar fascination. More and more men poured over the distant hill, and in a matter of time they would be below him. As the army of riders approached, none appeared to notice him or even glance in the direction of his nook. Indeed, his perch was an invisible hideaway. He waited silently and tried to count the men as they drew near. Two dozen had passed when he spotted a particular rider. The man rode proud on his horse, shoulders straight, and eyes focused. His leather covering was black and darker than the rest. It was long with tassels lining the shoulders. Unlike most of the others, the man wore no helmet, rather he wore a thick black band around his head that pulled his hair off his brow. Kenneth's gaze left the man when his ears caught the sound of creaking carts. Peering back along the path, he saw a horse and cart crest the hill. The cart was suited with a large wooden cage mounted to its bed. At first Kenneth strained to study the captives inside the moving prison, but his nerves pulsed with angst and drew his attention back to the procession of men passing below him. He glared down at the horned riders. They were exchanging words in a foreign tongue, often gesturing to one another as they moved forward on the path. Kenneth hovered above like a phantom hawk peering at its prey, watching as they carried on with one another. One by one, the riders passed. From front to back, they formed a stream of men and beast countless in number. In the middle of the procession, a single Viking, boasting bright golden hair, broke from the line and rode past the other riders. He called out, Halfton, Halfton. The man in black stopped his horse only yards ahead of Kenneth's perch. Kenneth twisted in his nook for a better view. As he did, a small rock rolled from under his foot and tumbled along the slope toward the edge. He gasped and froze, then lurched forward and grabbed the stray stone an inch before it would disappear off the ledge. His pulse quickened, and adrenaline pumped through his body, churning a gut-wrenching mixture of fear and fury in his belly. He took in a gulp of air and could feel the blood in his head thumping to the beat of his heart while his muscles were begging to release their pent-up anger. Below, the golden hair rider glanced upward and slowed his horse. What do you want? Halfton growled. The golden hair rider quickly lowered his gaze and rode to Halfton. As the Vikings spoke, Kenneth stole a glance from his hidden perch and glimpsed the two. They were speaking in words that Kenneth couldn't understand. The rider pointed to the small river running along the path and then pointed forward in the distance. When the two finished, the rider with the golden hair returned to the procession, and the one called Halfton remained not far below Kenneth, 
watching the riders move past. The man loitered for a moment and then merged into the pack. The clopping of the army continued as the horses' hooves pounded the muddy path and marched forward. Kenneth's focus returned to the cart. The first of now two carts was approaching. Kenneth counted eleven people inside and recognized each of them, but saw no sign of his family. The captives were filthy and disheveled, and some badly beaten. He wanted to call to them, to say something, anything. Yet he denied the urge and remained silent. The second cart approached and passed, carrying a dozen more prisoners. Still no family. Were more carts coming? Kenneth asked himself as he lowered and knelt on one knee, relieving the muscles now burning in his legs. His gaze returned to his enemy, and he watched them closely as they streamed over the eastern hill. No more carts. Where are they? Trouble and despair welled in his gut. Then something strange appeared in the distance. Kenneth squinted to make out the image. A pair of horses, escorted by Viking horsemen, had crested the hill with what appeared to be two rows of people trailing behind. As the lines drew closer, it was clear the people were captives, bound together with ropes tied around their waists. Once the last of the captives crested the hill, no other riders, captives, or carts passed over the hilltop. The captives slogged forward, inching on without purpose, moving as if their feet were lead and their legs putty. Their steps were like those of a death march. Excruciatingly, they approached. Kenneth lifted and tucked himself within the rocks of the nook. Then he eased his head outward. He surveyed the lines and saw the listless faces of the marching prisoners. Nessa. His heart jumped in his chest. She's alive. His mind went wild. He caught his breath. He gripped his sword. He stepped to the edge, then suddenly lost his balance. He leaned back to stop himself and quickly ducked. His eyes raced forward to the lead riders, slowly combing the procession from front to back, all the way to the rear. No one had noticed. He eased to a stance. The two lines of captives were directly underneath him and Nessa would soon pass below. And then she would be gone. He closely scanned the two lines, searching for his mother and Aiden. There were no other women in the line. Where was mother? He retraced the lines a second time. Where was Aiden? His heart sank. Had the savages killed them? Kenneth closed his eyes. He gripped his sword and tightened his hands, squeezing the leather-wrapped handle until his knuckles fell white. He took a deep breath and then lifted his bicep to wipe the sweat from his brow. He wanted to see Nessa again. He leaned forward in his perch. She was nearly below him, and he watched her as she slowly advanced. Then the prisoner in front of her tripped, and Nessa reached and grabbed the man's waist. Kenneth shuddered when he caught sight of the young man. A bloody cloth wrapped the man's head, and his neck was charred with open sores. What remained of the man's shirt was burned across the left side, exposing a fleshy shoulder pocked with blisters and jelly-like blood. Nessa released her grip from the man's waist and Kenneth heard the young man groan. The voice, Kenneth's mind spun. The man's head suddenly bobbed back, lifting his burnt face to the sky, oh God, Aiden. Kenneth convulsed in shock, and he ducked his head to hide. His eyes shut tight, wincing at the sight of his brother and fighting back his rage. Kenneth paused and let a moment pass, then he glanced down at his feet and peered over the edge. He guessed he was twenty to thirty feet from the ground. He wondered if would survive the jump. 
Placing his feet at the lip of the ledge, he closed his eyes and exhaled. Then he clutched his sword with both hands and pressed it against his chest, pointing it downward. He opened his eyes and looked below to prepare himself. Aegon was passing under him. Nessa gazed up. She stopped in her tracks when she saw her brother peering down. She gaped at Kenneth and their eyes locked. The rope around Nessa's waist suddenly tightened and tugged her forward. She lurched and stammered. After regaining her balance, her eyes lifted again to Kenneth. Her face hung with sadness, desperately wanting him near her, and far away, at one and the same time. Kenneth's eyes widened as he stared back at his sister. He nodded his head, yes. A tear rolled down Nessa's cheek, and she shook her head, no, no, Kenneth. She tore his heart. He watched her pass. She turned her head to look back. He was gone? 